Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin Tyler McElroy. And I'm Sydney Smurl McElroy. Y'all. The first 10 times. <laughs> Cute, I'll grant you. Um, so we already have, we have a topic picked out. Uh, mm -hmm. for this episode. I mean, I hope we do. <laughs> and uh, I have this, uh, I, this is so good. <laughs> it's really funny, hold on. Just let me get, just let me get through. Uh, and uh, we thought that uh, rather than us tell you no, what, what- We thought or you thought? What I thought <laughs> is that rather than us tell you what the subject of the episode is, um, that you would tell us. Are you ready? No, I mean, <laughs> Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Okay. It's a bit, guys. <laughs> it's a bit. Just work with me, okay? The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the hall. That's right, we're doing the clap. <laughs> your, your doubts have been I, rendered it moot. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. Yeah. And somebody was right. Somebody said gonorrhea. Oh, Dunk, I did think it was chlamydia. I'm so very sorry. <laughs> and for the occasion, because I, I didn't know about this really clever thing Justin was going to come up with at the last minute, I, I brought gonorrhea with me to Austin. We picked that up. Share at, with all of you. At uh. We picked that up at your Terra Toys. The only time it's nice to share gonorrhea with your friends. <laughs> Here What's it is. gonorrhea? Well, I'm gonna tell you. First of all, thank you, uh, John and Diane, not Jack and Diane, John and Diane for recommending this topic. Um, gonorrhea comes, first of all, the word gonorrhea, where does that come from? So from the ancient Greek for flow of seed. So. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Uh, one, no likey, Everybody, two. first of all, just buckle in, because that's the kind of episode this is. Do you think, you think Rhea is the flow part? Because mm -hmm. diarrhea, I would think, would be of the same. <laughs> hey, it's linguistics, all right? 
I'm not, it's not all jokes, okay? This is a linguist explanation of linguistics. <laughs> but there were, for a long time, it was thought that gonorrhea was just some sort of irregular flow of semen, that that was all that was happening. It was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm into it right now. And I didn't see this coming, but now, now this is happening. <laughs> and so people thought it was just semen. Okay. And a lot of the symptoms early on their descriptions were mainly associated with the symptoms that come with a penis because men were more likely to have symptoms than women. And so you see a lot of this association with just what happens to the penis as opposed to everything else. Okay. Why is it called the clap? Uh, I have... Oh, <laughs> I have heard that the reason it's called the clap uh -huh. is because the... <laughs> <laughs> when you came in and your wiener <laughs> was having the cl uh, the, the, the gonorrhea, which the I gonorrhea. which I still don't know what it is to be clear. Right. That when they would you. have it, the doctor would go like that and <laughs> slap it. And s yeah, thank you. I'm assuming he. I'm assuming Jesus wasn't present, but thank you. That is, that is one theory as to why it was called, why it is called still the clap. It, not so much doctors. It wasn't like a medical procedure. Like, here, hey, I got this. Hey, if that's... Strap on my gloves. If that's not real and you spend an afternoon coming up with that, get a life. <laughs> okay? Get a, get a no, hobby. It, it, was mo it was more like a recommendation for like a do-it-yourselfer. Like, if you can't pee because there's so much discharge there, you could either clap it <laughs> or take something really heavy and just kind of <laughs> smack it. <laughs> you just got to keep pushing through, Zidster. <laughs> the, the, other, the other theory is actually, then this is probably more likely, is that it comes from the word, the French word for brothels. Back in the day, a brothel would be called a clapier, which it was the same word at the time that was used for like a rabbit hutch as well <laughs> and some, so, some some odd evenings that led to i'm sure <laughs> so that's probably that's probably actually where the clap came from although it is associated with that and there was also an old english word that meant to throb that was called clap on so somewhere in there probably the brothels though okay let's go with that because um, i don't ever want to think you, about my thing could, again <laughs> <laughs> or you could just call it the drip because that's the other that's the other name for it it is, it is as, as most of you, it seems, know, a sexually transmitted infection. And it's caused by a bacteria, Neisseria gonorrhea, that looks like this little guy. Um, and it can cause symptoms like burning when you pee. That's like the classic thing, right? Does it burn when you pee? Obviously, there's discharge, because we've talked a lot about discharge. So uh, what we'd call purulent, or I mean pus. There's pus. Um, <laughs> you can have pain in things like your testicles or in the pelvic region, and then it can cause some like rare things where it spreads to joints and causes infections there, or meningitis. These are much more rare. Um, and it can affect things like the uterus and the fallopian tubes and cause a lot more problems than just discharge. Uh, and you can also get it in your throat, which I learned from Degrassi. <laughs> because it goes there. It does the go there. And apparently so does gonorrhea. 
The, the symptoms start about four to six days after you've been infected, and a lot of people are never going to get them. So you may be infected with gonorrhea and never know, which you're still you can still transmit it, even if you don't have symptoms. But Oops, sleep so tight. That, yeah. Um, and you can get it again. So you can get it, be treated, and then get it again. You're not immune forever. It was so common throughout history in men that for a long time, it was assumed that all women just had it. Like, from birth, they've just got it. And any time you have sex with one, you're rolling the dice. You might get it too. And that was... It's not true. Not true, okay. Now is- I suspected, but... <laughs> it's, it's been talked about, and, and now when I say gonorrhea specifically, the symptoms that are consistent with what we now know to be gonorrhea have been talked about since ancient times. There's probably a lot of overlap with individual cases between you know, gonorrhea and chlamydia, and then sometimes syphilis gets thrown in there with other symptoms. So, but generally speaking, we think that we've known about gonorrhea since Hippocrates. He wrote about something that was probably, called, that was probably gonorrhea, but he called it strangury. And it was because of the slow, painful urination that comes with it. It was like strangling your urine flow. So it was named that. <laughs> uh, both Galen and one of, our, one of our favorite features on Sawbones, Pliny the Elder, uh, <laughs> they both had the same theory that it was, it had to do with basically your semen has become poison. And... And so now it hurts. Uh, <laughs> Pliny didn't have a lot. Usually he has like 30 treatments for anything. For this, he was like, uh, the only thing that I know will help, definitely, are onions and leeks. Uh, sure. You could definitely just eat a lot of those and it will go away. But he says, but you might not want to because they are going to give you farts. So. <laughs> That's a man who knew his priorities. And the treatments that they recommended back then were things like massage or cooling foods. When we talk about like the time where we believed in the four humors, this was thought to be like a hot disease. And so you needed cool things to try to balance it out. So like eat some cooling foods or take a cold bath and drink some vinegar and don't have sex. They did say that, don't have sex because that... Make, they just thought it made it worse. They didn't know about spreading it. Um, they thought the cold stuff would drive away all the warm humors and you'd get better. They had more elaborate treatments that actually don't sound too bad, where you like wrap the affected organ in wool and rose oil and uh, dump some white wine on there and some. Now, Sydney, as you well know, that is my nightly ritual. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that it's also been preventative. You can throw on a poultice of something that like smells nice, like like marjoram and rosemary, maybe a little bit of dill, maybe some honey, <laughs> lots of herbs and spices, and at the end, throw in some friction for good measure. And I I, re- I was reading this and thinking, hold on a second. <laughs> Do you want to eat penises? Because I think that that's what y'all are ha- angling for. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Whatever, you just sounded like the first 30 seconds of an episode of Hannibal, okay? (laughs) Don't look at me with that judgment. (laughs) They're your weird old people. Um, Other other not quite as 
I don't know, pleasurable ancient treatments <laughs> included things like, of course, bloodletting, because why not? Yeah. We do it for everything. Do it for this, too. Um, anything that would make you puke was thought to be a good treatment. So just something that'll make you throw up. And then in addition, you know, harmless things like hemlock. Mm. Um, or some poppies, because then you'll feel better. <laughs> or maybe just some lettuce or some coriander or some lentils, because we don't know. <laughs> We're just guessing. We just got protein, that's good. We just got this stuff. Um, there are mentions of it probably in the Bible. There are a couple mentions of something called Zav or Zava, and that's probably a reference to gonorrhea or something like it. Um, they talked about it in ancient Persian culture. You would place a metal plate over your groin if you had it, and then sleep in a cold bed. There you go. <laughs> Probably not too much of a problem to find a cold bed if you're stricken with gonorrhea. That's probably, you're probably accustomed to that. In the, in the Middle Ages, vinegar we've talked about before. Vinegar has been a, a very popular treatment for everything for a long time. Uh, specifically for this, in the Middle Ages, you'd want to actually inject vinegar into your penis uh, if you wanted to, nah. you know. Nah, I don't think so. Get right to the source. What else you got? Uh, in England, <laughs> they, it was a little better. If you were royalty in England, they had a better concoction for you. It's still an injection, but instead it's made of breast milk, almond milk, sugar, and violet oil. <laughs> better than vinegar? Yeah, better. I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Gonorrhea got to be such a problem that there were actually laws passed to try to stop people from getting it. They knew it was associated somehow with sex. They obviously didn't know the particulars. But in 1161, English Parliament passed laws to try and stop the spread of what they called the perilous infirmity of burning. <laughs> 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 Although nobody really knew the cause, so it was really hard to like regulate spread of it because nobody was quite sure what was happening. Uh, Louis the Ninth in 1256, he went a step further and said, you know what, we're not going to regulate this. We're going to banish anybody who has it. Nice just throw them out. And everybody was kind of freaking out. Nobody knew how to stop it. So everybody took to kind of washing their bits in vinegar mm -hmm. because that seemed to, I don't know, something, smell different. <laughs> um, the epidemics of gonorrhea, though, did, on the flip side, lead to an interest in the concept of public health and the idea of public health officials that would work for the government and try to force people to get treated, which is, would be particularly bad because their treatments were terrible and didn't work. Um, but I mean, even without like, without your ability to refuse, that's the first idea of like, we're gonna force you to come in and try to get treated for this because we are spreading it to people and we don't know how. Um, it also helped lead to the secularizing of medicine because at the time there were a lot of physicians who had to take orders of the priesthood as part of their physician training. And Pope Boniface said like, if this is what we're gonna be doing, Maybe we can let doctors do their own thing and we can do something else. And that was actually the beginning of the secularizing of medicine where they said, let's just separate that out. And maybe you can just go to not med school. You know, you can pretend to be a doctor and you don't have to be a priest too. So as I, as I find myself saying almost every week, thank you, gonorrhea. <laughs> the 
Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Now, I, I mentioned this guy in, a different, in another episode, but I, I have to bring him up again in case you haven't heard it. We thought for a long time that maybe gonorrhea and syphilis were the part of the same disease, that it was just different phases of the same, you know, disease spectrum. And there was a guy who was so convinced that he thought, I'm going to do, I'm going to do whatever it takes to figure it out. His name was John Hunter. He was a doctor in London and he was treating a ton of sexually transmitted infections. Um, at this point in history, London was booming. This was in like the, the mid to late 1700s. London was booming and there was a lot of prostitution and a lot of people had both gonorrhea and syphilis. And a lot of people were arguing like doctors, is it the same thing? Are they different things? There's the clap and the pox. Is it the same or different? Hunter thought they were the same disease, and the only way we're ever going to prove it 
is if we get some gonorrhea and we give it to somebody who's never had either, and then we see what happens. The problem was he had to find somebody that he knew for sure <laughs> never had either, and who, who better than himself. Nice. <laughs> so the way, he, the way he went about this is he got some pus from the penis of a patient who, had, who he had diagnosed with gonorrhea, and he made some cuts. <laughs> Sorry. In his own penis. And then he just kind of rubbed it in there. And... Some doctors will just do anything for, for medicine, for their trade. I, I bet afterwards he's like, he's like, um, guys, do you want to rename it Hunter's Disease or something? <laughs> Can I get something out of this, please? He actually, actually, you're not far off. So he ended up, uh, he got the shanker that we associate with syphilis. And he also got symptoms of gonorrhea. And he thought... I did it. I proved it. This was all just gonorrhea to begin with. It's all the same thing. They're the same disease. I win. I'm right. And it became known briefly as the Hunterian Shanker because it was Hunter's Shanker. Except he was wrong. It took him a long time (laughs) to undo the damage he did and finally just broke the news to him. John, you just gave yourself both gonorrhea and syphilis. (laughs) (laughs) That, That dude had both and now you got both. Sorry, man. Sorry. But hey, in uh, a few years, they'll talk about John Medical History Podcast. So, got that going for you. Twice. As it Twice, out, yeah. You're the only person that they'll drag you out again to, <laughs> for public harassment. Other than Pliny the Elder. Yeah, yeah Pliny. They'll just drag yeah. you out again and again. Uh, in the 17 and 1800s, the treatments largely consisted of mercury. That was the biggest thing you would do. Um, a lot of injections, again, directly in into the penis. And, uh, and a lot of these treatments, again, focus mainly on people with penises, but that's because at the time they, they really thought because it presented more in people with penises that they were the only ones who got it, um, even though we knew that that wasn't true. Now, the, the reason they figured out this is they've actually uncovered a lot of the implements that would be used to inject the mercury, like syringes, from like old ships where like people would be trapped for long periods of time. And bored. I guess bored and thinking like, man, it hurts when I pee. I got to do something. What do we have? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whittle a syringe. You got some mercury. If you didn't like that, you could try... You could try a Cinnabar fumigation. Cinnabon? <laughs> no. I don't think they had that then. No, okay. No, this was before the invention of Cinnabon. Because they... I was about to be like, I found my treatment. That's what I'm going with that one. So you would take a hot iron and you would put some... No, don't worry. This isn't too bad. You take a hot iron and you would put some mercury and some sulfur on it. And then you would like put it underneath. You like sit on a seat with a whole, like basically like a toilet and put this underneath it. And then, like, make yourself, like, a little tent, like, some blankets, like a blanket fort, some tents, <laughs> and then just, like, sit in there and, like, inhale. Go on a vision and, quest. And, yeah. <laughs> and just fumigate your nethers with, you know, mercury. It's better than the injection. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Low bar, but it, it definitely, <laughs> it clears it. 
There were a couple herbal remedies that got really popular in the 1800s. One was this uh, like pepper-like spice from Sumatra called cubebs. And then there was something else uh, called balsam of copaiba. And both of these were very popular and thought that they helped to reduce like the inflammation from the disease. So much so, in fact, that in the year 1859, Great Britain imported 151,000 pounds of this stuff. That's a big gonorrhea problem. That's a lot. Um, in the 1870s, we finally started to figure out that gonorrhea could cause problems for people with vaginas and uteruses and cervixes and fallopian tubes and all the other things that gonorrhea can spread to and cause other problems. We discovered pelvic inflammatory disease is a condition that can result from untreated, not just gonorrhea, but gonorrhea in this case, and also the fact that it can affect your fertility long-term. So mm. we finally figured those things out, as well as the fact that if someone gave birth to an infant while they were infected with gonorrhea, that babies could get a condition in their eyes called ophthalmia neonatorum, and that it can actually, it was actually one of the leading causes of blindness for a long time. They figured out how to treat this, and this worked with silver nitrate. Really? Yeah. Well, good. So we were starting, to, yeah, we were starting to learn Imagine my relief. some things. We were starting to figure things out by the late 1800s, and this is when Dr. Albert Nicer, Niceria, finally isolated the bacteria. Wait, hold on. You just said Niceria like, as we all know. <laughs> and you, and everyone in the audience is like, uh-huh. <laughs> go, go on. I'm with you. Niceria gonorrhea, Nicerium gonorrhea, like Niceria, Niceria, that's the... I said that at the beginning of the show! That was a lot of penis slapping ago. It's <laughs> the name of the bacteria. Got it. This is a guy. Anyway, so Al figured it out. <laughs> and and uh, he tried to make a vaccine and it was a very, like, I was, re I was starting to read about this. It was 1910, and there was a vaccine for gonorrhea. And I'm thinking, I'd never heard of this. Why was there, a, I, what, why don't we use it? And it, first of all, it wasn't very effective. And secondly, it was like, you had to take injections every third day for months, and then it still didn't work very well. I, I like, want to well, okay. meet this cat. It was like, listen, <laughs> I know me, okay? I know my lifestyle. I'm definitely going to get gonorrhea. <laughs> I will do it repeatedly. I will do literally anything for a slim chance to lessen the, the occasions of me getting gonorrhea. Well, listen, Paul, couldn't you just try? No. No. I will not alter my lifestyle for you. Give me the shot again. I will see you on Wednesday. Because, because we had figured out the connection uh, with the, the infection in, in newborn's eyes and gonorrhea, in the early 1900s, you see some crazy ideas of what to do during the birthing process, where they're like, all you got to do is clean the vaginal canal by painting everything with iodine, just everything, just the vagina, and, and make sure that you're also going to, like, spray... They created this, like... <laughs> this special spray douche that like had nozzles on the side so you could insert it into the vagina and spray the walls of the vagina, <laughs> but not the cervix. They didn't want to do that. So you like stuff cotton in there first and then just spray everything down. Yeah. 
Um, and then they encouraged douching, which we know you shouldn't douche, but they thought, well, the alternative would be telling everybody to wear condoms, and that seems cumbersome, so. <laughs> ah, and sorry. also, that would be effective. Let's go with douching. Sorry again, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> Um, like I said, silver nitrate was, was used for eyes, and so they thought, well, maybe that's good for other symptoms too, so applying silver nitrate directly inside the urethra was tried for a while. Um, other forms of silver, like Bayer, marketed their own colloidal silver specifically for your penis. Um, in the, in the it late said that right on the bottle. <laughs> and then things, this is the time when things like arsenic, and bismuth and mercury were just like, yeah, just use them for anything. So until the 1930s, like a lot of like, you know, poisons and heavy metals and things like that. And then fever cabinets came along. Now, fever cabinets were not just used for gonorrhea, but they were definitely used for gonorrhea and, and syphilis as well, actually. But you would basically, it was like a big coffin that you laid in, except not your head. You left your head out and it, they would heat it to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. So really hot. And the thought was like, we're just going to kill all the bacteria with this really hot thing. We're going to have you lay in. And you would, leave, you would lay there for like 10 hours. Um, they, they went a step further for gonorrhea by heating instruments to like 120 degrees that you could actually place internally. Nope. So either the vagina or the rectum with these, yeah, this was not good. <laughs> this was bad on many levels. <laughs> and then thank goodness we're to the 1940s and their antibiotics. <laughs> thank you. Thanks again, antibiotics. <laughs> thank you, antibiotics. Uh, they started by using um, penicillin because we had it and sulfa drugs, those were the earliest antibiotics. And it worked for a while, so long, the late 1940s when we started seeing resistance. <laughs> So not too long, uh, but don't worry, like we have other antibiotics now, like this, this ends happy, you're fine. Um, this was especially good because there was a lot of concern for this during both World War I and World War II. So World War II, we finally had antibiotics, which was great. And I only mention this because in both, you see this, this horrible like victimization of women as being these secret vectors for disease that they're not going to tell you about. And you can see these posters from especially World War II where it has posters of these like lovely looking ladies smiling at you and it's like, she may look clean. <laughs> Good time girls, pickups, mm, prostitutes. And you know, you can't defeat the axis if you have VD, so. <laughs> sorry. I mean, I'm sorry from guys. I'm sorry. Again, I'm very sorry. So condoms, guys, come on, condoms. Um, in general, antibiotics helped and awareness helped and education of how it was transmitted and that you could use a condom and that this was helpful. This all helped and we started to see like cases of gonorrhea decline and, and this it was really good. And it actually, it's crazy. You see that until like the 60s and 70s when everything kind of like spikes back up real high again, <laughs> which was a lot of things. I mean, obviously sexual liberation and more people having, having sex with multiple partners, but there was also birth control, which was great, but it led to a decrease in the use of condoms, which mm. was not great for Sorry. things like gonorrhea. Yeah. Don't worry, we see things have died back down again. We, we figured it out again. So what do we do now? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was called chlamydia, so. It's, I will say this, you've, you've mentioned chlamydia a couple times, and it's not a crazy thing to bring up, because gonorrhea and chlamydia are buddies, and they, 
they run they run together often. So if you if you've been diagnosed with one, it's good to get tested for the other mm. just to make sure. And they're both easily treated. And generally, if we suspect that, we treat you for both oh. at the same time. So, um, like I've already mentioned, we have antibiotics that work. Although just in the last few years, there were stories there were, that you may have read. They kind of hit the media where we had new resistant strains of gonorrhea. So we had to like change our dosing and pick certain antibiotics that we always use, and we couldn't you couldn't mess around with it. Not like not like I hope we weren't messing around with it before. Yeah, <laughs> you couldn't give you couldn't give people like the fake antibiotics anymore. You know, Just sometimes you think anybody. your doctor's giving you a fake antibiotic. But obviously, the biggest thing is you know use a condom, get tested, get treated, um, and treat everybody's partners and. There you go. And now we have antibiotics, so it's good. Hooray, science! Yay! Uh, I want to say thank you so much to, first off, to Austin. Hello, thank you. <laughs> thank you to the taxpayers for letting us use their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Uh, thank you to the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. Uh, they have a lot of great programs. You can find them all at Maximum Fun. Dot org. Thank you to the Paramount for having us here. It's a beautiful venue. Everybody's been real nice. Yeah, and of thank course, you. thank you to you, both listening here at this beautiful theater and at home. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. So until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Maximumfun.org.